the Tau Ors American League draft is in the books, and we had three owners from Baseball HQ. I'll talk about the draft with Ryan Bloomfield and Doug Dennis next on a special edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Saturday, March the 14th. It's show number 13 of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we're delighted to have this special edition of the pod for you. I'll be talking with Ryan Bloomfield and Doug Dennis about strategies for the shortened Major League Baseball season as they affect fantasy, the online drafting experience, some bidding wars we all got into with each other, and some other strategies we saw at the draft. We won't have boons and banes, but we will chime in with our best and worst buys on the day as well. It's another Saturday special edition, Baseball HQ at Tout Wars, American League only. Let's get the fellows on the line, because we are going to talk some baseball. And to get things started, let's introduce our starting lineup. First, calling in from his hotel room in New York City, bullpens columnist at Baseball HQ and a longtime Tout Wars veteran, it's Doug Dennis. Doug, welcome. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, it's a longish sort of draft, but it was fun and it was interesting. And calling in from his home in Oregon, Baseball HQ speculator columnist Ryan Bloomfield, a past regular on Baseball HQ Radio and our Tuesday tout earlier this week. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, 5.30 a.m. wake up for tout. Five and a half hours in the draft room, but I'm I'm good to go. <laughs> All right. Well, l- let me start each of you by asking, just in general, Doug, how did you think your draft went? It went better than the usual terrible. Like I give myself a C plus. And uh, what is it about your draft that you thought went well and didn't go so well? Well, I just did everything different from what I usually do because I have had two bad years in a row in this in this league. So I decided I would try and buy some pitchers and see how that went. And Ryan, uh, how did you feel about your own draft? I'll, I'll get I'll, I'll I'll beat Doug and I'll give myself a solid B minus. Um, it's the it's the picks you don't like that stand out. I think in the auction, but um, weather the storm, and I don't know. I took, uh, well, I mean, we'll talk about general strategies and whatnot, but generally happy with it. Didn't get a single $30 guy, kind of went, uh, spread the risk a little bit. Was that by design then? I think so. I think in, well, really in the AL, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but in the AL, like, I only had a handful of guys over $30, $35 from HQ's projections. So the AL kind of weird this year, especially with all the starting pitcher injuries. And there's like Trout, uh, Bregman, Jose Ramirez at the top. And I didn't really notice too many other $30 guys, to be honest. Yeah, Bregman went for 37, I think, and Glaber Torres went for 30. Rendon went for 35, but I think those were all overpays based on the uh, based on the baseball HQ valuations. At any rate. I would say that generally that happens every year in this draft. I think HQ is a lot flatter than um, the way that a lot of other people do their projections, and it, and it shows in this draft every year. 
Well, that raises a question as far as strategy goes. Uh, of course, the baseball season is going to start late. There's no indication as yet how many games they're going to play, how long they're going to play in weeks or months, whether the season may be half its length or three quarters its length. We just don't know. How did uh, you adjust your strategy, Ryan, to accommodate the fact or take advantage of the fact that we don't know how long the season's going to be, except that it's probably going to be shorter? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the huge unknown. We can all speculate on when we think the season will start, and, and but we really have no idea. So what I generally did, and I know um, a few subscribers in the HQ forums have asked about this, is like, what are we going to do with projections? Um, and Ray has pretty much held the line that until we know when opening day is going to be, we're kind of assuming a 162-game season just because, even though that's likely not going to happen, that's about all we can kind of go off of right now. So what I did in my strategy for a couple of these guys was to take your kind of early injured guys, your Clevenger, um, your James Paxton's. I actually took James Paxton for 14 in the auction this morning. I almost I changed their projections to almost assume that they would pitch a full season. So what I did with like a James Paxton is I gave him like 160 innings and then and then uptick the strikeouts and the wins, right, the counting stats accordingly to assume that he'll be healthy whenever opening day is or mostly healthy and only miss a little bit. So in Clevenger, I did even more. I gave him a full season of innings. I gave him, I believe, 200 innings and adjusted those strikeouts and wins accordingly just because it sounds like he'll be ready to go whenever opening day is. And I'm not going to – I'm not going to – dock everybody's projections ending projections because we don't know when opening day is so i kind of took the opposite approach those guys who are injured and who i think are going to be ready to go i almost treated them as full-time guys in the projections i did exactly the same thing because at, at this point my opinion when i looked at it was we just have to treat all of these full season projections as relative to each other rather than as absolute that is mike Mike, Mike Trout's still the best player in the draft, and he's going to be worth whatever he's going to be worth that somebody's willing to pay for him, and everybody kind of is going to scale down from that. And that doesn't really matter if it's a 160-game season or a 140-game season or a 120-game season. Relatively speaking, there's going to be no difference. The one difference I thought there was going to be is just what you said, Ryan. There's going to be pitchers who are going to miss the first month or were going to miss the first month, and all of a sudden they move into basically a, a full season work load because we're assuming the, the season isn't as long and also guys I noticed like Aaron Judge went a little higher than I thought he would have if, if it had been a regular baseball season starting in, the, in late March. Doug what did you do to adjust your thinking regarding the possibility of a shortened or the likelihood of a shortened baseball season? Well the same idea just that players who are currently injured are going to be closer to being ready when the season starts. Of course, we don't know how many games that is, you know, as a percentage, so it's very difficult. I only did it on a very, very small scale, though. I got, um, like, I got Mitch Haniger. I don't know when he'll come back, yep. but he'll be much closer when the season starts than he is now, and um, I felt like at a, at a pretty cheap price. So I was looking at, at really trying to get my discount guys late with, with guys who might be, um, you know, had started the year on the DL, had it started on time. Uh, and buying some time, you know, for them. Yeah, Doug, just to chime in, like, so I was on the flip side of that Mitch Haniger thing. I'm, I've been a big Jake Fraley guy throughout uh, draft season, especially when Haniger, knowing Haniger's going to miss, you know, a good chunk of time. We don't know. Um, I ended up getting 
Jake Fraley for five, but I don't know how often you know he'll play if the season doesn't start until June. Maybe <clears throat> maybe Jake Fraley only has a month before Hannah Year comes back. So um, I mean, obviously, so many unknowns, but uh, it makes it makes it quite interesting. In a case like Fraley, though, like once he's up and playing, they're going to keep him playing. I think. I mean, I think that I don't think it's Hanniger or Fraley in that situation, just because. You know, once Fraley's up and playing, they're going to want him to play. I, I honestly think the both end up playing. I think the takeaway from this for for our listeners who haven't had drafts yet and are going to have drafts is think about any adjustments you made because of injury and rethink them all. Uh, there's going to be situations where certain players are going to get boosts in, would have got boosts in the rankings had the season started on time because they're taking somebody else's place. Like Jake Fraley, you mentioned, there are lots of guys in that kind of boat and all of a sudden the possibility of them having a path to playing time is reduced because the likelihood is that the uh, if the season starts late that the regular player is going to be back and ready to go I, I think that's a really uh, important thing to think about on both sides the guy who was hurt but also the guy who is going to be his replacement uh, let's move on we were supposed to have this draft uh, uh, traditionally in New York City we're gathered around a table we wisecrack at each other we have a live auctioneer public health issues intervened we all decided to uh, to to not go and, and gather, but rather to do this online. And I'm curious, Doug, I don't know how much experience you have with this because I had very little, but what did you think of the online bidding experience? Oh, I would, I would, I would say I disliked it greatly. I'm, I'm a person, I will say I use a piece of paper, so I didn't have to have at least two computers going or anything like that. But I, um, you know, I like, I like the old, I like being able to know when someone's raising by one before I hit plus one and find out I raised it plus seven by accident. Um, I, I didn't like it. How about you, Ryan? <laughs> that, that, plus plus, that plus one button killed me, man. There were definitely times where like someone was going for like 13, 14, and then I clicked you know, plus one to get to 15, but by the time I clicked, the guy was already at like 18. So my plus one was really 19. So I think that plus one feature is, is we used, um, we use fan tracks for the, for the online draft. I think most, most platforms have that kind of, you can type in your bid or you can do plus one after some early failures with the plus one experience. I went in and, uh, just typed in my bids as we went. Um, I will say like, especially for listeners out there who traditionally have in-person drafts and have to, you know, accommodate by going online. Um, one thing I think that did help, and I'm, obviously we're so constrained by the platform, is Tout Wars did have like a practice room or practice run last night, so Friday night, where we could at least go in there and figure out, you know, what the heck we're doing, what buttons to push and that sort of thing. So if you guys are doing that uh, in your home leagues, I would, I would recommend that if, if you can. That at least helps. Uh, me get familiar with the platform because I had never done an online auction before. Something that bothered me about the plus one button, I don't I don't know if this happened to you guys, but right above the plus one button was the little gear icon to change the settings of the site. And and if you just hovered over it, that 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 uh, hover over caused a window to open on top of the plus one button and you had to kind of get off and click somewhere else and make it collapse before you could get back in and get a bid in, by which time four other guys have bid and you missed your opportunity. Not not that it would have mattered because you were going to get outbid anyway, but I also had the experience of 
pressing what I thought was a $1 increase on the on the bid and finding myself $4 ahead of where it was when I pressed the button or when I thought I pressed the button. So that's something, yeah, I think that's an inevitable artifact of of the latency of the of the internet. There's that's going to happen and I don't know what you could do to to, to fix it, frankly. Yeah, the converse is always true. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The converse Go ahead, is Doug. always true in a in a live auction because you want to say you're plus one as fast as possible, so you beat another person from saying it first. Yeah, exactly. And then um, you know it, it just gets down to that last second, and then all of a sudden three guys go in there and bid, and it all changes. So um, that was definitely interesting. The other part that I thought was interesting was I I believe we use Onroto for the in season portion, but for this auction platform we use Fantrack. And this is going to happen in a lot of listeners' home leagues as well. Is like the online auction or online platform that you would do instead of an in-person draft. Like we had to accommodate the Tout Wars Swingman by having an extra, I believe, an extra roster spot. So we drafted like 24 guys, and then um, to account for that Swingman, which can be either a hitter or a pitcher, and then the last kind of round or once once each team filled out their roster, they would go and then just, uh, if they didn't take a hitter with that swingman spot, they would just take a placeholder guy. <laughs> and the AL, like, it's so deep. Honestly, I don't know about you guys, but, like, I can tell the difference between some of the real picks and the placeholders by the end of it. That part of it was a little confusing. I, I found a, a number of people thought it was confusing, especially when one of the guys picked uh jonathan holder to be his placeholder because uh, i think he thought it was a big joke and that everybody would think it was funny and it was pretty witty i guess but it everybody was confused because there was bidding going on i know in the actual chat window he said this is going to be my shohei otani which was another issue that we had uh, somebody had taken otani as a pitcher but now they were going to take him as a hitter or vice versa and so they had to have a placeholder because there's only one otani on the fan platform to use and and all of those things are kind of a pain in the neck, but frankly, I really give a lot of credit to Todd Zola, who organized this draft for us. There was a, a couple of things that needed to have workarounds, and you know, as cumbersome as they might have been, they worked. And and I don't think we can begrudge them too much because uh, Fantrax was very accommodating to us. We like on Roto to run our league, and they just don't quite coincide in some areas. So you do what you got to do. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're, this is a suboptimal situation and, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, credit to the board for making this happen as quickly as it, as it can. It's just some of those quirks you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Um, some of those quirks uh, make, make for good stories, at least. And, uh, and, and that's, I know one time, some, uh, one owner's, uh, I think it was Mike Gianella, his, his draft room froze up and, and was bidding on Mike Trout. And I guess it froze, and he had, the the software thought he he bid fifty one dollars on Framil Reyes, who was the next the next guy up, and we obviously adjusted that. But Framil at fifty one will always uh, will always ring true to me now. Yeah, there's that kind of stuff is going to happen though. I think that was interesting. Something I I thought was also interesting was how the catcher market was played. Doug, you were nominating every catcher on the board early on. Was that just to get them out of the out of the picture, or what was your thinking there? My thinking was that I really needed to have money at the, in the end game that, that other people were spending on catchers that they didn't really mean or want to. So I decided I would start nominating about the mid-level catchers and just keep going down the list and letting people bid four, five, six, whatever, 
number they wanted to put and fill in their catchers and hopefully spend an extra dollar to doing it as I was doing it early. And Ryan, I know you thought uh, you went into it too early, maybe misjudged the category a little bit with your catchers? The position in general, yeah. And I think, I mean, this this happens in auctions. This is that risk-reward in auction. So I took, someone threw out Austin Romine with like the 13th um, nomination in the entire auction. So Romine was like one of the first, might have been the first catcher off the board. And I had him at like a $9 valuation. I believe I got him for six, so I was feeling pretty good at the time. But when you go in and kind of set that price for a particular position, or sometimes maybe like a, a category, you don't know are catchers going to be devalued the rest of the draft. And that, that's kind of what happened here. Maybe, Doug, that was because of you. Um, catchers, I thought, were going really cheap. And, and later on in the draft, I was like, yeah, that $3 profit from Romine looked, looked good at the time. But it was more of a, you know, my, my valuations misjudging catcher prices. Um, at, at least that's just what I thought. That's that risk and reward of, of going in early on a particular market. And, uh, and maybe you get the bargain, but maybe you don't. My uh, catcher market error was the biggest one I made in the entire draft, which was I got nervous about my catcher situation and my money situation, and I went way too heavy on Mitch Garver from Minnesota. I had him in uh, past years, and he was a terrific player for me, and he was actually worth more than the $18 I spent on him in this draft. But I don't even know what where my mind was at at that point. I should have just let him go at the 12 or $13 mark, but I got into a competition with somebody, and I don't remember exactly what. And it really messed up my draft for a lot of the rest of it because I – I had him down as a $14 guy and he, I ended up spending 18, which is not an insurmountable thing. We know that the projections and the valuations are pretty uh, fuzzy anyway, especially in that middle part of the draft, but I sure wish I hadn't done that. You you could have just blamed it on the plus one. You should have just done that. I could have done it. I could have blamed it on the guy who outbid me on Austin Romine at the 13th pick, which would have been you by the way. And, uh, and speaking of that, uh, you know, there was some good-natured ribbing when, uh, Ryan, when you joined this league because Doug and I were already in it, which now means a quarter of the entire roster of the uh, of Tout Wars is now Baseball HQ guys, and there was dark hints about there's going to be conspiracies and we're all going to be backing each other up. And instead, uh, I got into more bidding wars with you guys, I think, than I got with anybody else in the whole draft. Uh, Ryan, uh, I mentioned we, we got in on Austin Romine, which was a small thing, but then Jose Ramirez, Lucas Giolito, and Zach Granke, one, two, three, and you got the better of me because I got Giolito and you got Granke. But um, I'm, I'm going to assume you, you weren't bidding against me because it was me or because it was Baseball HQ. It's just the way the draft was going. <laughs> yeah, the, the Jose Ramirez one was intense. I had him at like a $38 player. Second was valuable hitter behind uh, Trout. And I thought I'd get him at like 35 and you kept going in 36 We just kept one plus wanting each other. And then once it hit 40, I was like, ah, I still want him, but I'll give it to David. But yeah, it, it was kind of fun. Uh, Giolito definitely was another one. I, I didn't realize it. I did end up getting Grinky, but I didn't realize that was against you. So I'm glad I, glad I beat you one out of three. And Ryan and Doug, you guys had a couple of wars, one of them on Andrew Benintendi, another one on Kevin Biggio. Uh, what do you recall about that, Doug? That I spent too much money on both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I well, really then that means I spent too much too. I really wanted both of them, and I targeted them going in, and I didn't even think for a second the fact that both of you all would have the same, relatively the same idea, you know, with with players like that. But 
I did watch early on you guys bidding against each other and think I'm not doing that. I'm going to, I'm going to try really hard not to do that. And yet we ended up getting into it on Hyunjin Ryu as well. You and I, Doug, uh, got into a bit of a of a tussle over Ryu, and I got him. But again, it cost me a couple of dollars more than I was hoping to spend. But generally speaking, it wasn't anything. Did you guys find yourselves leaving Baseball HQ uh, out of it? Did you find yourself repeatedly getting in bidding wars with certain other owners in the league? No. <laughs> Not with anyone else. I got. I know. I got crushed a couple of times by Schechter and and Leibowitz, and Leibowitz won the won the league last year. Um, so I guess that makes me feel good. But there were a couple of times, man. I sh- should have just gone extra dollars on some of these guys. But that's life in the auction. And one of the things that we like to talk about after these drafts are over was anybody who seems to have taken a very unusual approach. And generally speaking, uh, you can see what's going on. It's uh, Larry Schechter and Mike Podhorzer and uh, and um, Rob Lebowitz, last year's champion, are all the kinds of guys who kind of go a little bit heavy at the start, then they lay off for a while because they want to have good control over that last sort of third of the draft. And, and it usually works for them, and it did the, this year as well. But the one thing that jumped out at me, you guys, was what was Mike Gianella doing? I don't think he drafted a starting pitcher. He, he did the Doug Dennis plan. It, it almost seems like he. So so Mike did <laughs> took Liam Hendricks and Roberto Osuna, kind of went double tap closers, and he's going to dominate the ratios. Um, took yeah Hendricks and Osuna at nineteen and sixteen, and then nobody else over two dollars. So um, that's almost the old uh, the old Doug Dennis strategy. Well, he's going to have to trade. I mean, that's what he's going to have to do because yeah. he's going to have an innings problem. But he'll trade. I mean, he'll, that's what he'll do is he'll move guys around and he'll trade. But, you know, my strategy was always $30, but it was never to just punt innings because that's hard to make up. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Is I, I, I was actually wondering whether the, that somebody had changed the rules for the year because of the shortness of the season and said we're just going to blow off the innings minimum. And no, and I didn't get the I didn't get the memo. And I thought if I'd have known that was what we were doing, I would have done the same thing. I did it in another league already. But I'm pretty sure we're going to play with some kind of prorated innings minimum. And if that's the case, uh, boy, he's going to have some trading to do because uh, I don't think he's. Uh, He's probably around 400 innings, and our our minimum is a thousand. So if you prorate it, it's going to work out the same way. He's going to be 60 percent short of whatever his innings requirement is. Geez, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a tall order, but we'll see. He's a really good player, so maybe he's just uh, he's figuring he's going to make a ton of trades, and he's going to make it up that way. Yeah, I'll be interested uh, yeah, to read Mike, what he, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Mike's a super smart player, and he also took. Um, I mean, I, I think part of that strategy falling in there is he took Mike Trout at 53 so in any draft where you've got a $260 budget and you take Mike Trout with two with at 53 um, you're gonna have to adjust um, you, Peter you mentioned Larry Schechter that was just another strategy that that jumped out to me and this is obviously my first time in the American League auction so I don't I, I tried to look at some previous uh, drafts and get some tendencies but um, Larry only took one hitter above $20 and just it felt like towards the middle and end of the draft, he was just getting value all the time. And maybe that's all that's what he does. But uh, I mean, the guy wrote a book on how to do this, on how to win and win plenty of times. And I was really impressed with what uh, 
with what Larry did, especially in AL where it seems like you need to um, you need to spread the risk as opposed to a stars and scrubs thing just because replacement level is so low. I think that's the way Larry always plays it. Uh, I don't know that he's always going without $30 players, especially on the hitting side. I don't remember from past years. I do know that he's very loath to spend money on hitters. Uh, remember, for the last couple of years, he's been teased because uh, he, uh, Alex Bregman is a relation, a family r- relation of Larry's, and he still won't get, get after him. I think he got him last year finally, but uh, not this year again. He just let somebody else take Alex Bregman at well into the 30s. He's just very disciplined. I mean, he has his values, and he's not going to go above it for any player. He treats them all the same, which I have a hard time doing. I fall in love with a player, and then I find out I've spent four extra dollars on him that I needed later. So, yeah, he's just very disciplined. And as Ryan says, it really works for him. One other thing I'll add is, like, I, I know a couple times I was – I had the most money left on the table kind of early in, in mid draft and did panic a couple of times. I remember taking Hunter Dozier who I had like at like a 11 or $12 valuation and took him at 15 just because I was, I was starting to really fall behind and kind of panicked a little bit. Um, Larry doesn't do that. He's, he's extremely disciplined. And as you said, it has worked for him in the past. Uh, guys, to wrap this up, I'll, I'll just ask you the question we always all ask each other. Uh, who is your best buy and who is your worst buy, Ryan? Uh, my worst buy, I want to I say, is Eduardo Rodriguez. I, I took him. He was my first pitcher off the board. I'm, I'm not sure why. So my first two picks were Austin Romine and Eduardo Rodriguez. Like what? Um, mostly Rodriguez because, and I think just as a general takeaway, Rodriguez is kind of like a compiler, and I think those compilers are in a shortened season are going to get dinged more than your kind of high ceiling guys. Um, I forget who made this point um, on Twitter the other night, but it was something like, you know, what's the difference? You know, the difference between like a workload guy like a Jesus Lazardo who was only going to pitch like 120 innings um, out of the entire season. Now, if Lazardo pitches 120, that's a bigger chunk of the shortened season. The gap between him and a compiler is, is, is almost nothing. So, um, Eduardo Rodriguez is probably my least favorite. Uh, my favorite picks, I guess. I, I like the two hitters that I took at the top, Austin Meadows and Nelson Cruz. I'm, I've been on in a bunch of drafts. Got them each for $29. So didn't spend 30 on any single player, but took two $29 guys. And uh, wrote up my, Meadows in the forecaster said he would be a 2021 first rounder. So I kind of have to back that up in, uh, in Tout Wars. You do know that this is 2020 though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a dynasty league, so uh, just thought I'd uh, draw your attention to that. Uh, Doug, who did you like on your roster, and who do you wish you had uh, do-over? Well, I probably like Eloy Jimenez the best. I got him for 24. I had him valued at about 27. Um, not a big not a big um, win there, but I really liked him at that price um, and at that point in the draft. Probably the player I like the least is um, Yoshihisa Hirano for seven. I didn't have a closer. I didn't know what to do. I went and got him. And if I had it, I would, if I had it to do over, I probably would have gone without anybody that I thought was a quasi-closer and spent that money elsewhere. 
Yeah, at a certain point, uh, sometimes the, the the wise play is to just do without closers and then hope to pick one up during the year when uh, somebody ascends to the role from uh, an unexpected source and you can put some fab into it, get your saves that way. Um, my favorite pick, I think, in the entire draft was Bo Bichette. I have him on a couple of other teams, first of all, and I had him priced at about $34, and I got him for 33 And I know it's only a $1 bargain, but uh, I liked the idea of having a, a one-two pick of uh, Jose Ramirez and Bo Bichette because they're both power speed guys, and that uh, absolved me of the responsibility of trying to chase speed later in the draft. I still grabbed a speed guy here and a speed guy there. Uh, my worst pick, I already mentioned Mitch Garver, $18. is just way too much to pay for Mitch Garver. I know he's uh, probably the best catcher on the board, and there's something to be said for that, but uh, not enough to be said for it to justify spending that kind of money. Uh, and I also wish I hadn't got Clint Frazier. I threw him out for a dollar thinking somebody would bid him up in the end game and if uh, the season were starting on time I would love the pick of Clint Frazier because I think he's probably would have played that first month or six weeks and maybe played himself into some kind of semi-regular role but as it now stands chances are there's a reasonable chance that Stanton will be ready Judge will be ready uh, even Aaron Hicks will be on his way back you know and they they've got Mike Talkman's already uh, been rumored to be a guy who's going to play some. So I think Clint Frazier is going to turn out to be a fairly wicked dud. <laughs> so uh, that's Tout Wars 2020, the American League draft. Guys, uh, congratulations on uh, having a terrific uh, draft this time. Uh, we're going to be jostling for position during the year. I guess we're going to have to try to make some trades, even though we're going to get accused of collaborating if we do. But uh, best of luck to you both. Ryan, thanks very much for helping us out, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, PD. Uh, glad we glad we could do it. Wish wish it could be under better circumstances, and we'd be heading to Foley's tonight. But, uh, but that's all right. Stay safe, guys. Doug, thanks very much. Uh, I know you're in New York, actually. Uh, you're going to be flying home this weekend, so try to travel as safe as you can. Uh, keep yourself healthy. Yeah, thanks. I'm I'm holed up in my room, but hopefully uh, I get out before uh, we have some kind of travel ban. Is there anything going on at Foley's tonight amongst the people who did get to New York? Um, I don't know if there is or not, but I'm not going. I'm staying in my room like uh, all the doctors and officials tell me to. Probably a wise choice. All right, you guys, thanks very much. We'll see you soon. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Saturday, March the 14th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 13 of the 2019 Fantasy Baseball season, our Tout Wars American League Draft Special Edition. I also want to thank our two guests from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Bullpens columnist Doug Dennis and speculator columnist Ryan Bloomfield both did a great job in the draft and here on the pod. I'm Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. And remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to Stitcher, Pocket Cast, iTunes, wherever you catch your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. It really does help new listeners find our show, and more listeners means we can keep the podcast going strong. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday with another Tuesday Tout expert interview featuring none other than Baseball HQ bullpens columnist Doug Dennis. 
Doug Dennis on the next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Talk with you Tuesday. So long for now. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.